Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Greetings, comrades, and welcome to the Eastern Border. Yeah, we were supposed to release another episode while I was still in the United States. That would be a longer edited one. But um, Anita is not in Latvia currently, and she's going to be here in uh, Sunday, I think, maybe. Because we did an interview with uh, Advent of Computing about how drones work and what is their role in the war. And we spoke a lot about cyber warfare all that stuff, you know, since we had a lot of questions about the drones we were about to get and how useful it will be and, you know, which which ones are the best ones. However, obviously, the biggest events that have happened recently uh, have overtaken me a bit. Since I returned, I had a massive jet lag, which disrupted my work. However, well, I have to take a look at this murder of Daria Dugin. Now... See, this is interesting because maybe thanks to the jet lag, maybe thanks to technical issues, I wasn't really able to do an episode in uh, in the like previous two days. And um, I think I think that's kind of good, even though people have poked me about making that faster and faster. But um, there's so many inconsistencies, weirdnesses in this story that I'm kind of happy that I'm just recording it now. And, um, well, we're going to have a longer episode about this and the whole context of this thing. But um, but let's get to it, since I had a lot of time to read both um, Western accounts on this and how a lot of people say what was it and what wasn't. And I think I've come to some, some conclusions. Now, by this point, I think I'm just going to reiterate to those of you who maybe listened to this episode... Um, years from now or something, as, well, they're going to be there. Daria Dugina was a daughter of Alexander Dugin. Alexander Dugin, we had a huge episode about him. Well, I was interviewed about him in um, History Impossible, and I had mentioned him before. He's, well, considered to be uh, the ideologist of Russia, of Russian president. At least that's what people in the West tend to think, and we'll get to that later. And Daria Dugina, his daughter which is, again, not posted that often. She used to be in a very leading position in Prigozhin's troll farms. You know, one of those people who've um, who've made my life harder over time. 
and they had been in a festival, kind of close to Moscow, some sort of family fest, one of those tradition things. And apparently, well, when leaving, when, when the festival ended, Dugin and his daughter were supposed to get into the car, but Dugin changed his plan, didn't enter the car, didn't enter the car at the last moment. And so only his daughter, who was 29, close to 30 at the time, blew up. And then, you know, all over the Russian media, there was there was this massive, um, massive pictures of him and everything, and this caused massive outrage, and also quite a lot in the West. You know, everyone in the West knew about this situation. The thing is that um, Dugin, like Putin sort of follows what, what Dugin has stated. However, while digging through this and while looking who did this and who didn't, because obviously Russian secret services instantly, just instantly stated that, oh, they knew who was this, and Russian federal services stated um, basically 24 hours after the murder that um, the person who murdered Dugin was Natalia Vovk, who apparently had born in 1979, and he did, and she she was a part of Azov, and that she had entered Russia in 23rd of July together with her daughter, and the daughter was 12 years old. That's already interesting. And apparently, um, very specifically, she had used a Mini Cooper to follow uh, follow Dugina, and uh, apparently she had like changed numbers and everything. Oh yeah, and on this very same day. Very same day, basically, um, she had left to Estonia, so they can't do anything. Now, they had posted some pictures everywhere, and this has gone crazy, so I guess we'll start chronologically. The thing is that um, just as soon as this was published, a lot of people on the pro-Russian side of this internet stated that, um, well, if this is true, then our secret services and border guards have been completely defeated. Just think about this. A military person from Azov, who's already been put into some basis of documentation, arrives in Russian Federation, changes numbers on her car, follows a month uh, for follow, follows Dugin for a month. Uh, by the way, uh, stating that she apparently lived in the same apartment building with Dugin's daughter, and then she just blows up the machine and 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 basically peacefully leaves Russian Federation with Ukrainian numbers to Estonia. Shame and nothing else. And this was the standard reaction, but the thing is, this got even, this got even worse, since well, currently on the Russian, on the Russian media basically states that um, the fact that this Nat- Natalia Vovk apparently had been well serving in Azov and everything, well, her photos have been posted on the internet on the thirteenth of April, but apparently, according to APN Severozapad which is another Russian news agency, this just got published today, by the way, uh, about two hours ago, that uh, apparently they had known about this Vovk from the 13th of April, but nobody cared. Because, you know, it's, it's Russian, people tend to not to care. This, again, kind of counterdicts everything since, well, if you enter the country, and I'm not even talking about how stupid is it to follow anyone in Russia on a Mini Cooper and how you can drive all over the place, that's beyond the point. I'm not a car expert, but I've heard arguments that Mini Cooper following someone in that is just ridiculous, especially in Russia. And also, you know, trying to do an explosion thing with a 12-year-old daughter. Yeah, 12-year-olds are absolutely interested in blowing people up. But um, 
Yeah, if she arrives in Russia in 23rd of July, and then apparently she's been discovered in 13th of April, something really doesn't mash up here. I mean, this, this theory sounds stupid, even if this Dugin exists, and she does. Because from more reliable sources, uh, namely counterintelligence team, which I then double-checked with my own private information, this lady who was being accused of exploding Dugina, she definitely was in in some sort of contact. She wasn't just a regular Ukrainian. That's all I know for now. I know that she actually was in a database of some sorts. Now, did she blow up Dugina? 99.9999 period percent no. However, basically, the FSB probably needed to show some sort of, um, you know, they needed to show some sort of reaction to this, since, again, a lot of people in the West probably have never heard of Dugina. Dugina. Meanwhile, a lot of people in Ukraine and even Russia in the liberal crowds haven't heard of Dugin. Eh, it's a weird situation where, you know, the person who is considered to be more important is mostly known on the other side. Well, this just made it all even crazier, since Dugina herself was a massive, massive kind of source of Putin's propaganda and was a massive activist and with, with current ties. Meanwhile, Dugin, as much as he, well, as much as Putin sort of follows his ideology in a way, the claims that Dugin is some sort of an unofficial status as Putin's chief ideologist, I, uh, I don't think so. I, I really don't think so. I, I used to think that, but I'm starting to doubt this. Because again, FSB had to point at this lady that they had in their database somewhere for something, just to, you know, chip one off the block and say, hey, look, we discovered this. However, this just has enraged everyone on the Russian side. Meanwhile, we have, um, meanwhile, we have a um, person called Ilya Ponomaryev. And, well, he used to be an ex-deputy ex of, um, of Gosduma from Spravedliva Russia. And, well, he's also evacuated to Ukraine. And he's basically stated that he had supported people who had taken responsibility for this, so-called Russia's National Republican Army. And apparently these guys had contacted Ponomaryev and asked for some methodical, materialical help. And they gave some advices, they some, sometimes helped them, sometimes sometimes uh, defended them or something. So basically, Ilya Ponomaryev have stated that, yeah, he supports the murder of Daria Dugin and helped those who killed, who, who killed Daria. Now, <laughs> that's again a bizarre thing, because this National Republican Army, that must be a very new organization since, well, if you've been listening to my show for the last half a year since this war started... Yeah, they haven't been any active at any way or form. So the FSB version that it was this lady with ties to Azov, nonsense. National Republican Army, also weird. So, who and why? Well, that's the big issue here, because we don't know. Since Dugin herself is very well known in Russia, and she was super active, and again, there might be a lot of, a lot of kind of ties to to kind of local opposition, but it might also just be organized crime. However, Dugin himself, well, Dugin himself, although he was shocked at the beginning, is just using this for massive propaganda issues. And uh, his daughter has now received um, basically a, a very 
Hitler-style super propaganda-based funeral. And now, while Russia is trying to kind of activate the Security Council of United Nations, again, an organization that's turning into a complete joke, well, um, over there, Russia tends to kind of put in kind of the agenda the fact that this horrible act of, of terrorism. And I mean, seriously, why is Russia still allowed to do anything in the Security Council? Obviously. Meanwhile, there are even crazier theory- theories about Dugina. So there is this pro-Russian, influ- pro-Russian influencer, influential reporter group, Ribar. And uh, they have some sort of analysis of this take, and so far this is the craziest situation ever. Because they are super pro-Russian, but um, they have their own even bizarre thing. So here's a quote from them. Thanks to wartranslated.com, they managed to translate this as I was working on this, so go check them out. <clears throat> Let's make it clear right away. We honestly doubt that the Ukrainians are behind the murder of Dasha Dugina. Since most of the Ribar project team knew Dasha and worked together, we decided to share our vision of the situation. And then there's an exclamation point. But wait, Ukrainians benefit from it. Their response. Ukrainians are ready to take responsibility for anything and use the media to turn any failure of Russia to their advantage. Uh, here's my own side note into the situation. Ukrainians didn't do this, and they obviously didn't take responsibility for anything, because, well... They are not a terrorist state, unlike Russia. So, going on from from this bizarre pro-Russian so-called investigation. <clears throat> you can be a liberal and sing praises of the Ukrainian army, which is supplied by the whole world, as much as you like. Write complimentary odes to Ukrainian information centers whose actions are led by British specialists, and also admire the work of the Ukrainian special forces, under whose legend the SIS units operate. Yes, 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 I know, I know, I know. If this made you kind of splurt out something from your nose, that's fine. But but I wanted to show you the really far-fetched end of these theories before I introduce you with my own. But, uh, yeah, obviously Russians don't believe that uh, Ukrainians... Well, obviously they've been told all the time that Ukrainians are stupid and weak and all this stuff. Just pure racism, really. And, uh, obviously, they think that uh, Ukrainian special forces are actually all just SIS units and all this stuff. Ukrainians can't do anything. This is just silly. Carrying on. We are not inclined to downplay the the danger of the anti-Russia project, to underestimate the capabilities of the Ukrainian general staff and troops. But we are well aware that of the Ukrainian there is only the color of the flag, and behind everything else is the collective evil West. And one cannot deny the objective reality. A typical Western Ukrainian is a master of appeasing Western partners during the day and the evenings presenting himself as a fury of the uh, as a fury of the entire civilized society with a gun, which may even fire. Ukrainians are able to make a drone out of shit and sticks, and that's the direct quote, and drop a mine on the headquarters of the Black Sea fleet. Ukrainians are able to inflate in the media the the loo blown up in Nizhny Tagil, passing it off as the greatest victory of Ukrainian saboteurs. Oh yeah, here he's saying because uh, Nizhny Tagil is kind of an example here, because uh, from the most recent news, what plopped in is that apparently one of the recent, more recent artillery, you know, artillery strikes against Russia, against their own ammo supplies. Yeah, that was presented officially as there was some sort of a lens forming in the clouds, and that basically sun caused an accidental ignition and blew it all up. I'm I'm not kidding. That that's literally the official explanation, but we'll get to that in a more relevant episode. But uh, heading on, to make an attempt to liquidate the father of great Russian nationalism, not their level, not their handwriting, not their style. Okay, but then who? Jews? 
Brits, Americans, Satanists. Oh, boy. I always love how Satanists are being dragged into all this situation and uh, how, well, if I hadn't read the propaganda news, the propaganda materials given out to Russian media, I would be surprised. But uh, let me remind you uh, that Dugina was one of the people who literally stated to Russia, to, to the Russian media who enforced all these things that Ukrainians in the West need to be called devil worshippers and Satanists. Just say. But um, Ribar still continues. Always in such cases, it's necessary to ask a typical question, such as qui bono? As long as Alexander Dugin stayed in the game and played a significant role in the ideological issues under Vladimir Putin, no one touched him. But around 2018, he gradually began to retire. And in such matters, when a person is engaged in other vital and annoying things, the entrance is always a ruble and the exit is not provided at all. And for ideas about great Russian nationalism, many wanted to tear off Dugin's skin alive. There is a sufficient reason, not just for negativity, but for personal hatred on the part of external forces who are haunted by the existence of Russia on the world map. It can be assumed that some specialists, with the help from inside Russia, under the guise of refugees, entered the territory of Russia from Ukraine and carried out an operation, as a result of which Dasha was mistakenly killed. But there is too little data to say for sure who exactly was the perpetrator. Yes, and it's not that important. But the organizers... They are there, sitting on the stands of the transhumanistic United Nations, OSCE, EU, and NATO. Also, they uh, talk about transhumanism as if it was something super evil, but, but that's okay. That's, by, that's, the cra- that's not the craziest part. Carrying on. But this is a terrorist attack in the very heart of Russia. Those are not even regions bordering Ukraine. And they answer, yes, and that makes it even crazier. Because if in the Bryansk, Kursk, and Belogorod regions they have already understood that there is a real war for survival, then here, in the center, the events in Ukraine are perceived as an annoying soap opera. The very fact that such a thing is possible, or even more so, not somewhere in the border area, but in Moscow, causes deep regret. And if those in power do not draw conclusions from this tragedy, then someone else will have to draw conclusions. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And I wanted to put in this utterly crazy Dugan's friendly kind of theory out there for you because it actually ties into ties into my own kind of thoughts about this matter. You see, Dugin was not not exactly an ideologist. Dugin surely stated patriotic ideas that Putin could follow. However, due to Putin's propaganda and Dugin's own materials, it is now dangerous in Russia to be more patriotic than Putin. I've mentioned this in a lot of episodes and Dugin among his very radical circles, because he's been basically sprouting out about killing, acts of terrorism, killing all Ukrainians, all that nonsense all the time. So has, been, so has his daughter, 
And I mean, sure, I kind of feel bad that a person has died, but you know, I don't like when people die, but for me, Dasha Dugina is about on the same level as, I don't know, Goebbels in World War II. And she basically fulfilled the same role either, so. And got about the same mega-turbo state funeral as well, so. It is what it is. I think, however, and this comes from, well, sources that uh, I can't really, you know, name here, from personal Telegram channels and, and, and some ties around, out of which, you know, I've been in contact with. Basically, Dugin had become too loud. And as far as I know, and I'm pretty sure some, some guys up there in Langley also know this, Dugin had become dangerous again because Putin, as radical and weird as he is, is not that stupid. And he's not trying to, you know, lose his power. He's still, you know, I don't know what he's, what's going on in his head. He's not a full rational agent. But he's not totally dumb. But he kind of lit... He he started the fire and now he can't control it anymore. Because right now he... Uh, t- to get support of this war, Putin launched the campaign of basically making Ukrainians look like Satanists and devil worshippers and Nazis and everything evil on the planet Earth. And, and that's what he's been doing. But he's pu- he's pushed it overboard. And he really counted on a quick victory over the... Well, Ukrainian forces of evil, obviously. But that didn't happen. And now he has to kind of do some things that could threaten him or his oligarch buddies and people who who he has put into nice, cozy positions. You know, this starts to threaten people and he has to, he has to run a very, very tight balancing act in there. Because you see, a lot of these people who are very pro-war... They are also hating the fact that Russia, if if you because they truly believe Ukraine is super evil and that Russia must win, they're also not very happy about all these people that, um, well, aren't aren't. Um, they basically blame Putin for not going far enough and not doing full mobilization, not turning the country into into just total war mess. And they also look at all the people like Peskov's daughter, Putin's press secretary, and and now. Today, even uh, daughter of uh, deputy minister of defense, who lives in uh, who lives in Paris, and, all, and like all these people who are who can live abroad in EU and the United States because their their parents are super wealthy by stolen money and corruption. Yeah, and those people kind of don't want to get thrown out of the respective states, and they're kind of posting anti-war options. So now, now these pro-war sides um, like Girkin, who's been less and less kind of detached from reality. Like, sorry, more and more detached from reality. And and even these guys, whom I just read, Ribar, you know, someone else will have to draw conclusions and stuff. Yeah, they, um, they don't... They, they're becoming kind of pesky. I mean, they are... Putin always wants to be the number one. And now these guys are more patriotic than him, and that makes Putin look bad, and literally, personally threatens the lives and livelihoods of, of his buddies, whom he had helped secure well, massive wealth and everything. So, kind of like if you listen to Revolution series, this is kind of like um, the point where, if, if, where in the French Revolution there were both threats from the super radical left and from the right, and Putin is is quite much radical, but he's not as radical at least. And also, quite a lot of people, influential people, by the way, Vladimir Milov, an economist, a very intelligent man, um, who's also on the Navalny's team. 
He also blatantly disagrees that Dugin had that much impact on Putin, because Putin can do his own crazy stuff by himself. And the fact that, well, Dugin would be some sort of a Rasputin character for Putin, also a bit overplayed. But, so far, last thing Dugin did that really put the effort on, on like, Dugin's head and made him look uncomfortable to Putin, specifically, is that... um. He stated that all people who work in any state or form in kind of the Russian state, you know, either you'll be a clerk or, or a deputy or anything of that sort, anyone working in the administration, must publicly swear that they are super pro-war. Now, why this is bad? This is bad because, for one, that would mean that uh, they wouldn't be allowed to visit their kids and families and everyone else anywhere, even if they are not on the sanction list, because they would instantly go to the sanction list. You know, that would probably cut off their lost uh, lost kind of windows to the West. And interestingly enough, and this is a bit of a tangent, uh, Lithuania is now going to be asking on the border about the support of the war, and Lithuania also states that all the Baltic countries and Finland should do the same. Basically, our border guards are going to ask people, even with visas, who want to enter from Russia and are Russian citizens, what do they think about the war, and is Crimea basically Russian or Ukrainian? And if they post, and if they respond in some pro-Russian way, then sorry, no entry to the EU. However, interestingly enough, if they basically, this kind of turns turns everything around because this means that every Russian who will now enter the EU through Baltic states or Finland, if we also adopt this, and I think we will, well then he instantly becomes an extremist and uh, can be arrested in Russia upon his return because well. If he's gotten into EU through Baltic states or Finland, that means he has publicly stated somewhere in written form that he's against the war and the Kremlin is Ukraine, and that is tantamount to treason. Ah, sneaky Lithuanians kind of love him. On the other hand, I'm still uh, dubious about, you know, dubious about all this blocking thing. But uh, again, those are those are mostly people who whine from inside Russia that, well, we can't do anything, and, and, and the Russian liberals state that this is just going to put more people in jail and cause, or cause more uprisings in Russia. It's like And people like Maxim Katz, who's been, you know, a good source for some, some occasions, but terrible for others. It's a mess. I'll have to do a full analysis of that one later as well. But anyways, Dugin stated this, and as Dugin actually was influential in these ultra-radical circles, as was his daughter. Although Dugin, you know, right now on Ukrainian television, they run TV shows explaining who Dugin is. Because, you know, he's been... Some people who speak about Dugin's virtues have gone to, to Dmitry Gordon, one of influential Ukrainian journalists, for kind of interviews. And it's a weird situation. Dugin's not that well-known in Ukraine. Some people state that he, well, is... But it mostly comes from TV, and lately, again, a lot of people in Ukraine had to be explained even who the guy was. Now, now Dugina, his daughter, who got blown up, that's a bit of a different story, so also a bit weird. However, Dugin had become, well, let's just say not very comfy for Putin. And I personally believe, and again, this comes from sources that uh, probably some of my listeners actually know, but, you know, I believe that FSB wanted to kind of threaten Dugin with something. And there are two theories about what happened next. One, they wanted to threaten Dugin with something. And then Dugin kind of... Dugin was the original target or, or something to, to get rid of him, because Dasha Dugin, she's still very useful. She runs the Putin's, uh, like, Prigozhin's troll farms. I think Dugin was the real target. 
and he missed out on this. And an FSB, someone in FSB miscalculated, or someone told Dugan himself to get out of the car. Why, di why didn't he tell his daughter? I don't know. It's a weird situation about, about him leaving. But I think it's an FSB fuck-up, sort of, in a way. Because by getting Dugan's daughter and not Dugan himself, like, if, if, if they would have gotten Dugan, then people in the West, then Putin could use this for his own propaganda. Right now, Putin actually needed Dugin's daughter. So it's a bit different. They're trying to basically, all these massive funerals and everything that they're trying to do, well, I think all that was reserved for Dugin himself. That's my most reliable theory. I give it about 60% chances of being correct. Since I think this was an FSB fuck-up. Which basically, you know, was meant to shut up Dugin permanently. But right now, this has this is kind of totally... And then the fact that this has probably been planned was, well, because, well, one, Dugin is not, not as known in the general public of Russia. It's, he, Dugin's very well known in these radical circles. And also, Dugin's not as wise. After all, Dugin was, um, four, is four years younger than Boris Berezovsky, which is interesting since he wants to play his role as this older wise man. He kind of intentionally looks older. You know, he's really not, so that's a thing. That's that's my version number one. Version number two, which is also kind of interesting, is that maybe maybe Putin wanted to raise Dugin's kind of perspective and persona up and use this for senses of propaganda. There's there are there are chances that Dugin was in on it. But again, something misfired. Like I think the car was supposed to be found with an explosive or blow up with neither Dugin or his daughter being in it. Dugin really looked shocked. That's the other option. Now, again, this doesn't change the fact that who blew it up? Because I, I really think it was it was FSB, but not intentionally. It was a mistake by the FSB to actually plan these things. And the FSB have done many, many terrible mistakes, such as the Riazza and bombings and everything. So, quite quite likely that this happened. And whether or not Dugin was in on it, I really don't think that it matters as much right now. What matters right now is that all those people who are super pro-war, are very much against all the systems now. Because, in a way, this assassination has proven, and, and specifically, more, more even so than the assassination itself, the fact that the FSB, just the day after this, states that uh, Dasha Dugin has left the country, sorry, Dasha Dugin, this assassin, has left the country to, to Estonia and all that stuff. This has enraged the Russian side. The very Russian radicals, people who are very active and who know how to handle a gun, like Girkin and everyone else in, in that circle, you see. So instead of instead of this operation kind of maybe intimidating the radicals and intimidating the people whom Putin wants to keep in, on a tight leash, he wants them on his side, but intimidating following his orders, not going all the way out. Yeah, this has backfired terribly. And um, I think that we could possibly see if something like this continues and the, if there are more fuck-ups like this one. Oh boy, interesting things could start happening. So that's my take on the whole Dugan situation because the theories were coming up and if this updates pay, I'll let you know. However, just, just so you know, well, this probably definitely wasn't, this definitely wasn't intentional by FSB, I think. I really don't think that. And I also don't believe that National Republican Army. This sounds cool, and maybe that's a new organization that wants to be part of the cool dudes, but I'm not ready to buy that. Now, 
to finalize this one, because still, this has been six months of the war, I'd like, to, I'd like to quote my favorite guys from Conflict Intelligence team. The people that uh, I've been following a lot and that, that basically do the Russian reporting things on, on the YouTube and Michael Naki's channel and everything. But um, they, they state that what they don't like about the Western aid to Ukraine is the fact that the West focuses kind of on wonder weapons. Meanwhile, in Ukraine, in a lot of places, they, they have drones. They don't have, like, proper grenade launchers. Basic equipment, like uh, those Tau missiles the United States sent, you know, those uh, systems and everything, they were basically a super godsend thing for Ukrainians. That's excellent. They need basic weaponry in the sense of armored, like, even 60s, 70s stuff will do. Just the mass is important. Like, older Soviet vehicles will perfectly do just fine in this war since, well, Russia has lost a lot of its trained personnel, and now, well, if they even partially mobilize, those folks won't be as trained. And they've also sent in their training corps. And if you, you know, I heard that basically you you never, you never send your drill sergeants who are very skilled and now hired in training corps. You don't send them to the front lines because you need them to integrate your mobilized troops. So even if Russia mobilizes, that's going to be quantity. And their skill levels are like nowhere near as, as, as nowhere near as high as to justify some sort of super long-range missiles. There won't be a single weapon that uh, as this war. It's going to be a mass of technology and mass of guns and tools and everything. And, well, I'm really, really sad to state that, at least on paper, as far as I know. Well, it's uh, more or less like quality is important, but um, quantity, pure quantity, is also unnecessary. However, this might also just be this uh, Russian commentator that I'm quoting here just maybe misunderstanding NATO generals because, well, we journalists are smart sometimes, but I don't claim to, you know, what, know what's going on since, well, people in, people in three-letter agencies and, and the Pentagon, they probably know, know way more than I do anyways about this. But um, this is kind of weird. And finally on all this, today, literally just 15 minutes ago, the, one of the more propaganda channels in Russia posted that um, they draw their conclusions that just because, just because if some sort of a nuclear device blows up in Ukraine and fallout reaches the NATO states and someone dies there, the United States has stated that, yeah, that would be you know, a bad thing and that would be an act of war, basically. <laughs> to this... These ultra-radicals respond with that this statement is a provocation and we can nuke Ukraine. No one cares about the fallout. And it wasn't as ridiculous and high before before this assassination. Nuclear war radicals. Those kind of people. Even Putin doesn't like these kind of people. Putin likes to live a cozy life, after all. As crazy as he is. But yeah. That's it for today. До свидания, товарищи. Happiness is mandatory. Birthday's coming in soon. We're still gathering all the stuff for drone. I'll deliver it personally since I'm going back to Ukraine in, in late September. And, well, next episode when Anna edits it is going to be the one about the drones and everything. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. 
Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.